And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 23. We're going to do the whole chapter this morning. It's been a while since we've done a whole chapter. And some people were going through withdrawals. No worries. We're back to a full chapter this week. Uh, so we're going to work on that. And uh, we're going to have a little fun with it. Jesus is going to be a little bit uh, energetic. And maybe not so nice to the Pharisees. He's going to say, whoa, to you Pharisees, you scribes, you hypocrites. He says it seven times in this passage. And we're going to figure out what he says to them so we make sure he's not talking to us. Sound good? Uh, Let's pray, and then we'll get started. Lord, thanks for this morning. Thanks for your word. Thanks, Lord, that there's so many things that uh, we can have fun with and give our attention. But I pray, Lord, uh, that we always give our attention to you and that we enjoy having fun with you. And so, uh, Lord, we ask that in this time, as we look at your word, you'd help us to understand what it says and how it applies to us, uh, that we might follow you better. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Matthew chapter 23, verse 1, the Pharisees have not left. They keep coming around. Uh, Sadducees have kind of disappeared at this point. We're really not going to see them much anymore uh, in the book of Matthew. But the Pharisees and the scribes are here. Jesus keeps teaching them. And it really are not fun exchanges for the Pharisees uh, because he keeps correcting them and, and telling them how they're wrong. Uh, and in, verse, in chapter 23, he's going to really start to point it out. Um, and he starts by talking to the crowd first about the Pharisees, and we'll just jump in. Uh, Matthew 23, verse 1, And Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. What's that mean? It means uh, they are in the position of authority and power within the temple and within the Jewish system, uh, like it or not. Does that sound familiar? People in power, like it or not? Right? Some people are upset about the last two years. Some people are upset about the previous eight. Like it or not, they're in the seats of authority. Watch what Jesus says about the Pharisees right here because it's one of the few times he says something positive. So practice and observe whatever they tell you. What? Aren't the Pharisees the ones that Jesus has been disagreeing with, proving wrong, criticizing? For sure. Every exchange. And here he says, yeah, but they're the position of authority right now in the temple. And so whatever they tell you to observe, play along. Ooh, does that one hurt a little bit? Did you play along for the eight years previous to this too? Are you been playing along for these two? All right, let's let's put politics aside uh, and, and let's go back to Jesus. He says, hey, There's something about us all working together. Regardless of what's going on, there needs to be a team. There needs to be unity. And so while they're sitting on Moses' seat, you're going to observe whatever they tell you, but not what they do. See practices that are less than desirable? Not so good? Dark? Evil? Yeah. When you recognize those things, do you do them because that's what everybody else is doing? No. We have a higher standard, right? She says, look, observe what you're supposed to observe, but when you see things that you're not supposed to do, you can avoid those too. Don't be like them. 
basically saying. Uh, for they preach, but do not practice. They know the answers, but they don't actually play along the game. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to even put a finger on it. They won't even lift a finger. So other people are supposed to do stuff that they're not willing to do. Is that called two sets of rules? What's the other phrase? Double standard. Double standard, right? Is that wrong? Absolutely. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their uh, phylacteries broad and their fringes long. What's that? The change, how they do their hair, how they do their clothes, you know, how long a tassel and that kind of thing. They make sure other people can see. Why? Attention. Draw importance to themselves. You met those people before? Aren't they fun? No. No, they're not fun. Because right, who's the show about? The show's about them. Hey, here, well, look, look what I can do. Look what, look what I look like. And they love the place of honor, verse 6, at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbi by others. What's rabbi? Teacher. They like status. Watch what Jesus is going to do with status right here. Uh, but you're not to be called rabbi. Why? Because you're not a Pharisee or a scribe? Or is that an overall statement? Hey, none of you be called rabbi. Why? Because you have one teacher and you are all brothers. Um, we're at church. Let's have a little fun. I'm going to ask you a question. You're going to try to guess what the answer is. Who's the one teacher? A God. Okay. Right? Why are we all brothers? Do we, is, we got a gender issue thing going on here? Or do we all get that uh, Jesus is basically calling us all family? And when you're all family and you're all brothers and sisters, there's a word that starts with S that we use for that. It's not sisters, it's siblings. We're all siblings, aren't we? Who's the most important of the siblings? Who's the favorite? My kids come to me all the time, right? That was an oldest that just said the oldest is the favorite, <laughs> right? Uh, my kids come to me all the time and say, Dad, I'm your favorite, right? You know what I tell them? Yes. Yeah. No, I tell them, yeah, you're my favorite. Oh, are you going to tell the others that, you're my, that I'm your favorite? Yes. Yes, I am. And the others show up. Did you tell him he, he was your favorite? Why, yes, I did. But I thought I was your favorite. Yes, you are. <laughs> and the third one shows up. Like, what's, what gives? I said, you're all favorites. That doesn't make sense. It makes sense because you're not a parent. There's more going on here. You're all favorites. Is that true in the kingdom? You like us all? Is one of us more important than the other? We're not Sesame Street. One of these things is not like the other. No, we're all different, aren't we? But how can we all be different and same at the same time? Because God doesn't value based on difference. God values based on origin. Where'd you come from? 
came from him. You have intrinsic value. It's a great phrase you should remember for the rest of your life. Intrinsic value. It means it's within you and it, it can't and shan't be removed. It's impossible. It says, you're all brothers. We're all family. And call no man father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Right? It goes capital F for father there, because somebody, when they translated in English, was trying to get at the concept. Do you still have a dad? Are we supposed to lose dad? No, we're supposed to understand that although we have a dad, we definitely have one heavenly father. Do, do we have a head of the church? A head pastor? You remember, do you know his name? There you go. That's why you don't see in any of our paperwork anywhere, Rock Bible Church, head pastor. We got one. Because I don't want to violate these verses. <laughs> you see what I mean? Right? There's a hierarchy. And here's, here's the beauty of the hierarchy in the kingdom. There's all of us. And then there's Jesus. Don't you love how simple it is? That's like simple enough you could actually remember it. Right? Uh, Christianity. Uh, user-friendly for Scott. Simple enough that I won't forget. And yet humans forget. Daily. Oh, I don't like them. And they would never say this. I'm more important than them. But man, they act like it, don't they? They have not complied with my wishes. I shall ostracize them. Why do we do that? Because we forgot the hierarchy. We forgot the order. Guess who forgot the hierarchy and the order also? The Pharisees and the scribes. And Jesus is saying, don't do that. Neither be called instructors, verse 10, for you have one instructor, the Christ. <laughs> The Christ is telling them that the Christ is the instructor. And they don't realize that it's the Christ telling them about the Christ. Folk, that's great, funny. That's irony. That's humor. The Bible's awesome. Now, does this mean that we don't have any teachers? I mean, am I, should I, am I allowed to have a soccer coach to teach me soccer? So what's the understanding here? The understanding is whatever your coach gives you in learning your sport or learning math or learning how to bank, uh, balance your bank statement, uh, did they make up that truth on their own? No, all truth comes from where? From God. When we teach and instruct, when we lead, when we discipline, it's all borrowed truth from the original source. That's meant for us to remember so that we never take more credit than is due. It helps keep us on even playing field. The greatest among you, verse 11, the greatest among you shall be your servant. He's trying to tell the Pharisees because they haven't figured this out. You want a great life? You want a great marriage? You want a great existence? You want a great job? You want a great experience? God just gave you the equation. How do you do it? You serve. Do you know how much people like you when you serve them? 
Have you figured this out? When you're nice to people, talk to people, help them, listen, care about them, give them a hand, show up on time, prepared. Do you know what that does for people when it comes to you? Chemicals go off in their brain and go out through their whole system. I want to be around them more. I will invite them over. I will bring them gift. I will talk. I will call them. I will write them note. I will go to women's retreat with them. Slow commercial. Uh, do you know how people feel contrastly when you read them your resume, what you have accomplished, your titles and certifications? Do you know how they feel about you? Have you figured this out? No, we haven't. We haven't figured it out because we all walk around telling people how experienced we are and all our titles and what we've earned and what we've learned and why we should be important. There's no market for that. No one cares about that. We're sitting around walk, uh, telling people what we've done and who we are and you know what people are really concerned about? what you're going to do. It's great theology from a great theologian who said, what have you done for me lately? <laughs> Janet Jackson. It's the theology of, uh, of humanity, the doctrine of humanity. We're sinners. Worried about what have you done for me lately? Now, is it a broken system? Gosh, I'm not sure because it's God's system and he's ordained and everything and so it's his system. So I don't know if it's broke, but gosh, I think it's broken and fixed at the same time. So I'm going to say both, Scott. Okay, good answer. And we need to function within that reality. The people are going to do better when you serve them. You're going to do better when you serve them. And somehow God has designed for it to work that way. And how about this? If God allowed sin, part of the real allowing it was so that we would have to work together and then we'd like each other better. How brilliant is that? That's amazing. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. Verse 12, he's telling those that have exalted themselves that they need to be humble we don't need to know that though, right? I mean, I wouldn't feel like that's a concern today to the point where I would take that verse out of all of the verses in chapter 23 and put it at the top of your outline so that you would remember it. I, that wouldn't be true. Why? Because here, here's, here's your goofy um, poetic line for the day. People never stumble on humble. We don't accidentally show up at humble. We accidentally chase exalted. I want to be important. Humble is a focus. It's a discipline. It has to be worked for. And when you do, it pays off. Pharisees haven't figured that out. Don't worry. I'm pretty sure you have or you're going to. But verse 13 Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. 
verse 13, beginning of seven woes in this chapter to these two groups of people. Jesus not happy with them. Why? For you shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You neither enter the kingdom of heaven yourselves, nor allow those who would enter to go in. You're blocking the doors. Why? Because you're focused on the wrong wrong thing for yourself, so you're not getting in. And by the way, with all the rules and things that you're making up, you're blocking other people from getting into heaven because you're telling them they're not good enough. That's not the business I'm in. Fascinating, right? They can't go in. Verse 15, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel across the sea and land to make a single conversion. We're going to translate that for you. A single salvation of another person. And when he becomes a Christian, you make him twice as much a child of hell as yourself. Ouch! What's he saying? You're headed so far the other direction that if you can convince somebody to follow you instead of me, they're, they're twice worse off than you are. Because you at least know the truth and could have. They're lost and don't know it. Woe to you, blind guides. Wait, I thought they were hypocrites. You know Jesus was a name caller? Got to spin that one around in the noggin a little bit. Um, By the way, you don't get to do that. Well, I saw Jesus did it. I found it in Scripture several places. It must be okay. No. Small difference between you and him. Figured it out? He is a God. <laughs> He's a deity. It was very uh, careful practice we need to do when we read Scripture. Is that we recognize there are certain things Jesus does that we appreciate, we learn from, we understand, but we don't do it. And we don't try it. Because there's a huge difference between he and I. Uh, you blind guides. You're leading somebody and you can't see where you're going. Who say, if anyone swears by the temple, it's nothing. And if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath. You hear what just happened? John comes in and says, hey, you know, I I swear by the temple, I will be on time. Doesn't matter. He didn't swear by the gold of the temple. Because if he had swore by the gold of the temple instead of just the temple, then if he showed up late, we could stone him to death. It's, it's goofy. The Bible tells us in other places we're not to swear by heaven or earth, but simply that our yes should be yes and our no should be no. But watch this. You blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? Where does gold get its value, folks? Men, what about the women? You're saying women don't like gold? Huh? That has not been my experience. People give gold value, right? Till they decide they like silver better, and then they start buying silver, and then silver goes up and gold goes down. Does not have intrinsic value. It has perceived value, right? That's the gold. He says, is that as valuable as the temple that has made the gold sacred? The gold that goes into the temple, it goes in not sacred. When it gets into the temple, 
somehow all of a sudden it's become sacred. It had intrinsic, it had perceived value. But then we bring it in, and because it's in the temple, all of a sudden now it's sacred gold. Right? How did it become sacred? Where does sacred come from? Who determines sacred? Yeah? Is the, is the temple sacred? How did the temple get sacred? Well, I don't know, Scott, but I know that I read in the Old Testament how it got built because there's chapters and chapters and books and books of on and on detail of how to build the temple. Yeah, but how did it get sacred? God decided to dwell there. Are you going to tell me that the temple has no sacred value? If somebody swears on it? But if we swear on the gold of the temple? We are chasing the absolute wrong things, you blind fools. And you say, if anyone swears, verse 18, by the altar, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath. What is the gift of the altar? It's the sacrifice. It's the, you know, the turtle doves or whatever you bring in to sacrifice on the altar. You know, before it was just the altar. But once it has a sacrifice on it, boy, now it becomes sacred. Uh, folks, whose altar is it? And, and, and is a sacrifice of any value to God? In fact, it tells us elsewhere, God does not desire your sacrifice. He desires your obedience. It's funny, it's like they've lost perspective that the temple and the altar are within God's house. And God is the one that makes things sacred. Your offering is just an offering until God accepts it, right? We learned that very early, the very beginning, first book. Cain gives an offering, Abel gives an offering. Abel's was accepted and Cain's wasn't. Cain's, Cain's offering was not sacred and he became jealous of Abel and we get our first murder. Cain kills Abel. Why? Because he forgot the value of sacred and where that comes from. And it wasn't Abel was to blame for Cain's misstep. We got similar uh, Cain's here with the Pharisees and the scribes. Verse 19, you blind men, which is greater, the gift of the altar or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So whoever swears by the altar swears by it and everything on it. And whoever swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it? Shouldn't the him there be capitalized? Who dwells in the temple? We just told you. Right? You're worried about the gold? <laughs> if the gold's in God's house, the gold has no value, folks. The only value in God's house is God himself. And whoever swears, verse 22, by heaven, swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. Ooh. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You tithe mint, dill, cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, namely justice, mercy, and faithfulness. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the title fight. In this corner, justice, mercy, faithfulness, and their opponent in the opposite corner, mint, dill, and cumin. Who's winning that title fight? 
character qualities. God's commands. Folks, it is not by coincidence that mint, dill, and cumin are very small gifts meant to be placed on the altar dedicated to the Lord. They're some of the smallest. He is in the Pharisees' faith saying, oh, you're worried about the gifts on the altar? You offer the smallest ones and you have neglected the weightier things of God. Your gift will not be accepted is kind of the implication. These, not, uh, these you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Verse 24, you blind guides, straining out a gnat and swallowing a camel. Anybody ever done that? What are you talking about, Jesus? Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Greed and self-indulgence. Now we know the priority. You blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the plate that the outside also may be clean. You know, it's the funniest thing. No one ever had to teach me this. In washing dishes, somehow... As simpleton as I am, I was able to observe that food and beverage go inside the cup, and when you turn on the water and you get the sponge to clean the cup, you're supposed to clean the inside. Future beverages are going to go on the inside of the cup. It's amazing that I had figured out that no beverages are ever held on the outside of the cup. It doesn't work. Is that a goofy analogy? I mean, it's very sarcastic, right? The implication is that what they're missing is that goofy. That absurd. You blind Pharisees, clean the inside. And then the outside may also be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead bones and uncleanness. What's inside a tomb? Any life? Nothing. When you put flowers outside a grave, uh, is that change the contents of the grave? No. It, it, it brings a sentiment, honor, makes us think moment to pray a lot of great things can come from that but you're not changing the condition of the person that was who is now not and whatever remains of them in the grave he says to the pharisees guys you're dead inside you look okay on the outside but you're dead inside you're like a dirty plate you've washed the outside of the cup and there's mold in the inside and you want to keep drinking stuff out of it so you also Verse 28, outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. <laughs> he said that to those who make the law. Woe to you, scribes, verse 29, Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, you build the tombs of the prophets and decorate the monuments of the righteous, saying, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would never have taken part in the, in the shedding of the blood of the prophets we never would have killed all those prophets. We know so much more today. Uh, is that true? Are we in danger of thinking that? 
Here we have the New Testament now. We know so much more. If it had been us back then, I'm sure we wouldn't have eaten the fruit. I would have done better than Eve or Adam. I wouldn't have ran from God like Jonah. I would have built the boat faster than Noah. Right? Um, it, that's idiotic, isn't it? Because there's none righteous, no, not one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There is no difference between us. In fact, didn't he say we're all siblings? We're the same DNA. We're all making the same mistakes. The heart condition that says I, I would have been better than them is the same thing we said earlier. We're not to take an elevator in an exalted position. It says you, you felt like you wouldn't have done anything to the prophets, but thus you are, verse 20, watch what he does. He turns it around on, thus you witness amongst yourselves that you are the sons of those who murdered the prophets. You are the children of prophet killers. You have the same DNA. Is he saying you're related or is he saying you're the same? He's saying you're the same. You uh, fill up then the measure of your fathers. You serpents, name calling. You brood of vipers, more name calling. How are you to escape being sentenced to hell? <coughs> um, does anybody else want the answer to that question? Because I'm not even thinking about the Pharisees and the, and the scribes anymore. I'm wondering how do I make sure I don't get sentenced? Is there a way out? We got a little equation earlier, right? If I want to be great, I got to serve. But if I want out of hell, what do I need to do? Let's keep going. Therefore, I send you prophets and wise men and scribes. Is this, is this confusing? I thought, haven't we woed them like seven times? Tell them how bad they are and how they're dirty on the inside and they're dead on the inside and the whole thing. And yet he says, yeah, but I'm going to send you some prophets, some wise men. Prophets are meant to send a message. What more is there to say to them? Wise men, we're going to send you some wisdom. Scribes, some of my writing. Is God still making an effort with the people that are the most lost? What does that tell you about God? He's in the salvation business. Does he care about their track record? Their history? Who they're related to? What mistakes they've made? How great is that that we have a God who's still giving the Pharisees and the scribes a, a second chance? He says, but I'm going to send you these messages and messengers, some of whom you will kill. That's future. Now, he's not talking about who their fathers killed. They're talking about, you know, I'm going to continue to reach out to you, and you're going to continue to reject me and my servants. Some of you will kill and crucify. Some you will flog in your synagogues. What synagogue is a place of? You're going to turn it into a place of death. You're going to persecute from town to town so that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on earth. All all of the blood shed on earth, okay? That's important and significant for the next phrase that's about to come, right? From the blood of innocent Abel. Oh, do you remember who I just told you Abel was? Remember? That's the first murder. And if we're doing all of the blood on earth and we started with the first, who do you think the next one's going to be? Not the first, but the, the last. From Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Barakiah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. Oh, 
You guys are making rules about the temple and the altar and what is a good vow and not a vow. And you guys haven't even figured out the value of the temple and the altar because you murdered the last prophet I sent to you, Zechariah, and you murdered him smack dab in the middle of the temple where God is supposed to dwell. You're missing the point. I did some uh, little research on who's Zechariah. Do you know uh, the uh, history claims that there were actually two different people named Zechariah who were both murdered in the temple between the altar? That's fascinating. You mean we're so dumb we did it twice? There's a third implication of who it might be. and There's no way to really totally prove it because there's some different names used as to whose son he actually was or whatever, but that's not the point. Jesus is saying, God first, and your rules not at all. You need to follow me and listen to my messengers and listen to what I've sent to you. Truly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. By the way, uh, Zechariah, both of them stoned to death. Right? So he's making reference to that again. Uh, How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you would not. Would not what? Gather. All you got to do is come. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, verse 39, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Amen. This is bummer Sunday for them, isn't it? How's it happy Sunday for us? Here's how. We're going to figure out how to not be cups, camels, or gold. This is how we're going to figure this out. And then we're going to give you an amazing, amazing promise at the end. Okay? Which I think we forgot first service, so you're going to get a tremendous second service extra. First thing that we need to recognize is that, uh, w- about the gold, if we're comparing to gold, is it's easy to mix, mistake implied value for sacred. Implied value comes from people. Sacred always comes from God. What this is really saying is real value comes from God. And I told you earlier, you all, we all, have intrinsic value because of our origin. God does not value things based on demand or on a vote. You see, we need to always remember the origin of value, and it is God, not your efforts. What we're going to remember is we're going to remember to look for sacred. This plays out another way with the camels. It's it's easy to neglect the major and protect the minor. We run around chasing minor things like it's really important. We got to make sure we do this and it's really a minor issue. And we spin our wheels protecting the minor stuff while the major stuff is, is being neglected. Some of you in your family, you fight about stupid stuff. Like idiotic stuff. It's a waste of your time and your energy. And what you're doing is you are are disrespecting what God has called originally valuable and sacred. Because you're spinning on the wrong thing. Did you hear what they called me? 
minor. You know what's um, minor about this morning? What shoes you wore to church? Do you know the shoes you wore to church? Is, is, that, is that a minor issue? Yes. Say, somebody say yes. yes. I like what shoes you, I don't even care if you wore shoes to church. Right? Somebody please, next week, come barefoot. No one will care. Right? In casual ways, it welcomes all to worship. Uh, you know what the major, you know what the major is of that? Your shoes, your shoes walked into church today. There's a big difference between the minor and the major. And we need to know the difference. And then we need to pursue it. Because it's going to help us understand what's sacred and what's implied value. You see gnats, little gnats, they get way too much attention for their size, don't they? It says you strain out the gnat, but you eat the camel. Now, I've never eaten a camel. Tastes like chicken, yeah. Uh, but the point is, what gets too much of my attention? What do I call sacred that's not? And I, I would love to give you a little uh, trifecta of questions. Ready? What's sacred to you? That's question one. Second question is uh, very different. What's sacred to God? Okay? And here's the third one. It's the sucker punch. Are they the same? They should be. They're meant to be. Your mission, should you choose to accept it, is make what's sacred to you what's sacred to God. Therefore, bypassing the minor and chasing heavily after the major. Right? The big stuff. The irony of this is what is the most major? What's the ultimate major? God himself. What's the biggest, most important thing? God himself. You know, when you chase little things, freaking out over what this is going to look like or that's going to look like or how you're going to spend your time or are you good enough or are you not or whatever. You know what you're not thinking about in that moment? God himself. What's important to God? When you come across a minor issue, what's your first question? Um, thank you for coming to church and allowing me to pastor you. I'm going to give you an answer. When you come across a minor issue, your first question should be, is this important to God? It's kind of like when you're cleaning the house. You find that one shirt. Have I worn this in the last six months? No. Throw it out. Right? Has this been important to God? This little thing that I'm spinning on, has it been important to God in the last six months or year or ever? Maybe I should move on. Thirdly, cups. Cups is the idea that it's, it's easy to ignore your own mess. Um, you're a mess. Newsflash. Um, we're all equal, remember? We covered that earlier. Yo soy messy tambien. Okay. Uh, what's the point? With the cup, we're, we're supposed to be working on the inside. Work on the inside. Don't be a tomb. 
Be alive on the inside. And then if you don't look so great on the outside and don't wear shoes to church, no, nobody cares. Because they serve and I like them and they make happy things happen. I'll teach him to brush his hair later. You know, whatever. We've got to get to the point where we start working on our own mess. And here's, here's, the, here's the great news, right? Although people could be dead inside and focus on minor things and chase after implied value, do you remember what the last little phrase was, the last verse? In the midst of all these woes, seven woes, which, by the way, is a perfect number, you are perfectly condemned and cursed, Pharisees. And by the way, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know, I mean, is this worst, worst chapter for them? And at the very end, what does it say? I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Is that a bad sentence or is that a good sentence? Because if you take some of the words out of that and understand what's really being said, you will see me again and you will say, that means he will come back, you will be coherent enough to speak and say what? Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Will you be prepared? Will you be ready? Will you enjoy it? He says that to the Pharisees. This is happy Sunday, folks. You're in better shape than them. And his business is about continuing to send messages and continue to get your attention and continue to draw you back to the important stuff. The inside of the cup. The camels, not the gnats. And the gold, the altar, the gift, the temple, and the God who sits there. Those are all old analogies. So let me hit you at home today, 21st century. Your spouse, your house, your car, your job, your kids, your church, your community. God lives in all of those places. And I did this first service, and I'm going to do it again, because there's one word I, I feel like we need to hear today. And it might be that there's just a couple people that need to hear this word. And call it a leading or what, call it Nerdy Scott or EBGB, I don't care. But the word is next. I sat with somebody and watched them falling apart, upset, crying, this has happened, that has happened, what about my future, what about my family, I'm not good enough, I've made mistakes, whatever, just falling apart. And you know what they needed to hear? Next. Scott, what do you mean? And this is what I really want you to hear about this word. As long as you are alive on this planet, I'm about to make an absolute statement, okay? And they're almost impossible to make at church. But as long as you are alive on this planet, as your pastor, let me say with full integrity and before God, there is always a next. On the day you die, there's a next. What's the next? It's the best next. What is it? Heaven. But no matter how bad it's been or what you're thinking of or what you're afraid of, there's always a next. God is alive and well. He's working on things and he's ready to do next with you. So the question becomes, what's next, God? 
You can spin on am I okay or did I blow it? You can spin on a number of questions. And I promise you, you'll be spinning. And you'll be missing, you'll be spending time on minors and missing out on a major. And one of God's greatest majors for you is what's next. Because he wants to engage you in that. There are plenty of things for me to be afraid of. There are plenty of things for me to regret and despair, be guilty, shamed of, and blamed for. But I believe there are more things to be excited about, hopeful, thankful. Why? I, I believe that to be true because I'm trying to find those things. More importantly, I'm trying to find those things and I'm finding those things because they exist. And the number of good outnumber the number of bad always in his kingdom. Amen? Father, thank you that there's always a next. Thank you that even for these Pharisees and the scribes that your son tried to give them the message of next to them in that moment. Pray that we hear it today. And Father, protect us from the gold and the cups and the camel, those issues. And help us to see what's really going on. Thank you for the opportunity that we have with you always. And Lord, I, I pray for those this morning who might be struggling, whether they have a relationship with you or not, that might want to start it. And if that's you, tell me. Tell someone. Tell them today. And, and just between me and you, if you needed to hear the word next this morning, can you let me know that? Can you wave at me or shake your head at me or whatever? Okay. Good, good, good. Father, thanks for that. Help us to be listening for you in all areas. And then, Lord, thanks for our church. Thanks for this offering that we're about to receive. I pray this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>